Welcome to the LabOp Leaders Series, a showcase of global change agents and experts in healthcare and laboratory management. Here's your host, LabOp Global Founder, Robert Farias. Welcome everyone to the first episode of the LabOp Leader Series. We wanted to start this podcast to educate, entertain, and inspire you with the stories of lab professionals that have made remarkable contributions to global health, but frankly, don't get a chance to become household names. In this episode, we are pleased to have as our guest, Bright Kofi Sechi from Ghana. In a nutshell, you will learn what happens when you take a 14-year-old, add global South-South collaboration opportunities, a drive to make a mark in infectious diseases, and layer on decades of passion and persistence. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bright, welcome today. Thank you very much for being our first guest. Bright, can you maybe get us started by helping us understand how you got into the lab field to begin with? What what led you to work in a lab? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Robert. And thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, honestly speaking, I had always wanted to uh, become uh, an infectious disease expert uh, way before I even entered into the university. That might have happened during my secondary school days. But this was not the approach I had envisaged. Uh, initially, I actually wanted to study medicine and then I will proceed to do um, uh, apply molecular biology of uh, infectious diseases at master's and PhD level at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Of course, I did. I got all the grades. Um, I finished uh, what you would have called maybe the IB or sixth form, whichever way you want to call it. Um, I finished very, very, very well, extremely well, uh, with a three-year average of about 99.8%. Uh, and then I was only beaten by one person uh, with a 0.1%. So obviously, I got it. I got that grade uh, all right. Unfortunately, you know, in my part of the world, and I was on a scholarship by then in Cuba, so there were some underdealings, and there were we were forty-five in a group, and and uh, the so obviously being the second with three medicines uh, uh, places, I was obviously in. However, there were some underdealings, and somehow I was taken out. That was something that took me a very very long time to really deal with. Uh, so I ended up picking uh, microbiology at the uh, University of Havana, Cuba. Um, of course, so I the, the the sequence now switched. So I entered into microbiology, which was a five-year program, and uh, of course I was disturbed for a while. But I had to keep my 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 head level, and I went through the five years. Just before I finished, I actually got admission to the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine to do master's in applied molecular biology of infectious diseases. But I didn't get, uh, what do you call it, a funding. Uh, so it went on and on and off. I went back to Ghana and I started practicing uh, at the Noguchi Memorial Institute for Medical Research, uh, the Department of uh, Microbiology, first as a national service uh, uh, personnel, uh, and then subsequently as a senior research uh, uh, assistant. And then we went on onto a project, uh, which was a Japanese, uh, Japanese International Cooperation Agency, a JICA-funded project, which had to do with the baseline uh, socially transmitted uh, infections database uh, for Ghana. And that went very well for five years. Within those uh, same years, of course, I was hoping 
uh, that I will still continue to medical school thereafter. Uh, but obviously, I, I didn't get the funding to proceed. So I had to focus on the, the career, um, the, the other aspect. If, in fact, even if I had studied medicine, there was no way I was going to stay in the consulting room because my curiosity was way beyond just looking at patients and things. I really wanted to dive deep into infectious disease. And coming from my part of the world, I thought it was important to make our own contributions to to, 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 to humanity in one way or the other. So that's how, that was a drive, you know, from the beginning. Um, and this is how I ended up in the career. And uh, from there, um, well, um, I can tell you more as to how I proceeded and how I progressed up to where uh, I am today in terms of sure. both education and, and career. Uh, what got you to Havana to begin with? Uh, yes, I was actually in uh, middle school in Ghana. Uh, it was uh, that was uh, somewhere nineteen eighty, early nineteen eighty five, and I had a, a, a mate uh, who actually informed me that there were some uh, guys that were going to Cuba on uh, Cuba between uh, Cuba and Ghana a scholarship a, a arrangement, you know, intergovernmental arrangement. So. I I was I was always a curious child. I'm the last of my uh, you know four siblings, and uh, I was really uh, curious at the time. So I went home at the time. I was actually staying with my elder brother, who was by then a captain in the Ghana Armed Forces. And I went home and told him, "Look, this is what I heard, and I really want to go. So I would like to write the exams." And then he actually asked me, "Look, you you're only 14 years old. Are you sure?" I said, "Absolutely." So um, he took me to write the exams. I passed it and I was among the, uh, I think we were about 135 students of that batch, 1985. That's what landed me in Cuba. First, we ended up with uh, on the uh, little island in the southwestern part of the, of, uh, the Cuban main island called the Isle of Youth. Uh, we did a one-year language, then proceeded to the Saturday school program itself. And then, of course, out of the 135, uh, we ended up being the, what do you call it? I think 45 of us, yeah, it was 45 of us that uh, qualified. Uh, in that batch also, I think I was the I was the fourth or the sixth person. I need to look at my documents very well uh, that qualified for the sixth form. And then that's how we proceeded to the sixth form. And then from there, of course, after even the sixth form, we needed to write the university entrance exams, and that is how I end up ended up at the University of Havana to read uh, microbiology. Of course, having told you already, what was my initial plan? Yes, excellent. So, Brad, just to clarify that, so you were about fifteen or so when you landed in Havana the first time. Four, fourteen. Fourteen. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was nineteen eighty-five. Wow. So, what was that experience like for a fourteen-year-old from Ghana to land in Havana? Uh, it was, uh, I think when you are driven by, you know, we are all born with some kind of in, in, in a, what do you call it? Uh, drives, you know, personal drives. Eh? And I think that's really, uh, kind of like, um, overshadows any fears or any, any kind of like, uh, intimidations, etc. Of course, this was a, a mixture, a sweet and, and, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, uh, kind of like okay, a two-way experience. Of course, we we were in a group, and we were only uh, Ghanaians in that school. There were several schools 
from other nationals, etc. So um, it was a little bit of a nice experience from the beginning, but along the way came in the pulling out of the Soviet Union, you know, uh, with their support to Cuba in 1989. And so things became a little bit uh, difficult, but I guess it was all part of what has actually formed one, you know, uh, the ability to withstand, you know, uh, what do you call it, any situation and survive. Uh, it, uh, of course, we were treated and well protected by the, the Cuban government. Uh, I wouldn't really on the, on the why, why would I say, on the official uh, platform, there was actually, I would be a very, very dishonest person to say there was anything. Of course, you you know, integrating into other societies that are not yours, you find one or two miscreants that will say a few things to you. But I think it's all part of the thing. But it was actually a nice experience. It was a bit difficult at the beginning, uh, not knowing where you are. You can't even find your bearings. But the determination to go and the way the program was lined out, and of course, the vision that I had, I think, was... Uh, a fundamental. It, it really played a fundamental role. It was a driving force behind everything. That's great. That's great, Bright. So just, uh, just out of curiosity, did you pick up any Spanish while you were there? No, obviously, we had to go through a full year of Spanish course because the program was, in fact, it was interesting. The, the way the Ghana government arranged the program was that they actually wanted uh, uh, us to have part of the Ghanaian curriculum, secondary school and sixth form curriculum. So a bunch of Ghanaian teachers, secondary school teachers were actually sent along with us and they were actually given us other programs like English language, uh, uh, geography, history, which were purely Ghanaian curriculums. Then we had the Cuban curriculum that covered all the sciences. Mm -hmm. So, and it was in Spanish. So we had to go through a full one year Spanish because I landed in the, in, on the island without knowing one word in Spanish, but within six months, I was speaking Spanish fluently. And the way they taught us was that it was so intense that without it, there was no way you could have actually handled the program. And so throughout the seven years of secondary school, plus uh, the sixth form, it was a combination of English and Spanish. You know, so the Ghanaian teachers were coming on a two-year rotation just for the Ghanaian component of the cur curriculum, uh, whereas all the sciences were taught by the Cubans, and the investment was purely in Spanish. That's, that's in the five-year, yeah, five-year program. I think there were about sixty-four courses. Uh, it was purely in Spanish, including the thesis, the viva, all the lectures, everything. That's definitely a great immersion experience for someone that young. Uh... To take on that's that's phenomenal um right maybe just give me a bit of a sense for so in terms of when you were back in ghana you were beginning your lab career um and let me let me ask you to take a look back and say from the beginning of your lab career what would you say is the biggest thing that's changed well obviously when i finished i had the the five-year degree of course uh, in in ghana of course the translation now became an issue in ghana whether to uh, issue me a master's degree or keep it at a at a what do you call it a, a BSc level because in the Spanish version is a licenciado that is licentiate you know which is above the the what do you call it the uh, 
the BSc degree. But of course, it becomes a bit of a political tussle and thing. So I settled to, you know what, let me just take the BSc. So I, I was actually um, sent as part of my national service uh, to the topmost medical research institution in Ghana, which is still the same. Uh, that institution is called the Noguchi Memorial Institute for Medical Research. And a bit of a background to that is named after the Japanese, Hideo Noguchi, uh, who actually discovered yellow fever. He was actually investigating on that in Ghana in 1928 and died of it. So the Japanese government actually built that institution, uh, which is at the uh, University of Ghana. Uh, it's part of the College of Health Sciences now. And it was built and named after uh, Hideo Noguchi. So obviously, I was posted to the topmost, uh, what do you call it, a research institution, medical research institution, and that was great for me. And I was actually posted to the uh, the bacteriology unit. By then, it was unit; it's now a department. And obviously, I had opportunity. It was nice. My curiosity was way above the average. Uh, you know, just lab things, just do the ordinary thing. You know, and I remember one of my professors when I was actually. Uh, during the BSc level, used to tell me, "Look, listen, you you are you are going to graduate as a microbiologist. You can, you need to drive this. You know, you are not just going to be working uh, as as a technical person, but you're supposed to be the one thinking around issues. You know, find solutions to problems. You know, so it was really nice. Fortunately for me, in 1999, there was actually an outbreak of a cholera epidemic." in Accra, uh, which is sometimes, you know, they are, these are frequent occurrences in my part of the world. And then these specimens were actually brought to our department, you know, uh, for us. So I work on it. We, I did all the isolations and the antimicrobial resistance uh, patterns of that, you know, and, and it was really interesting. At the same time, I was actually applying, uh, but at the same time, I think I had an admission to the Rotterdam School of, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, health sciences in the netherlands uh you know i just wanted to go to school it was always a driving force then there about the same time came this japanese project where i had to actually i was a senior most uh, uh, uh research assistant on a project fortunately unfortunately for me the professor who was in charge of this and the head of the department had to go on sabbatical leave so i became virtually the 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 what do you call it uh, the person in charge and i had to give all the debriefings to the director and prepare all the interim reports or the review reports when the japanese team was in ghana so it was a very nice experience and it really kept me driving i i knew this is where i always wanted to be i just wanted to do medicine first before that because i wanted to have a direct access to patients and subject that was actually the reason behind my 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 uh, my my drive to do medicine first i didn't want to be doing that through any other person wow so so Brent, maybe let me ask you a question about the the experience you had there in terms of isolating specimens and and getting to the point of understanding antimicrobial resistance almost 20 years ago now uh so how has that differed over time what's what's changed in, in the exercise of going through that work well, I don't think much has changed. I think maybe technology has improved, you know. Uh, those were the days that, uh, you know, it, you have to kind of plate and then probably take uh, 24 hours or 48 hours for colonies to grow on the plate for you to actually isolate, purify, and do all the biochemistry tests by maybe hand 
Of course, at the time we started using API, which was uh, uh, what do you call it, a biochemical identification method. So, you know, we started using all that. But now uh, the the system has changed. Technology has come. You have issues that you have equipment like the Vitec that can actually easily help you within, you know, because the, the gases that are produced by this bacteria can actually be detected by now. But the skill still is there. And I actually like those beginnings because you were not just working as a mechanical person following computers, but you really need to know the fundamentals. You actually need to know the behavior of the colonies, the smell alone from certain colonies, you know, I mean, bacteria, when they grow on the plates, like Klebsiella and all that. Well, let me say, not only that, I we were doing many other things, Enterobacteria, all the, what they call it, uh, gut bacteria, you name it, you know, blood infections, etc. So it, it gave me a whole, you know, and I, I, I'm actually very grateful because I fell into a hand of my senior colleagues and one uh, senior te uh, technician who actually passed on suddenly when I was doing my master's degree in London. And, and these people really taught me a lot, you know, a lot on the ground. If you come in, you, you don't come in like you just come in from you. If you come in, that was one thing that my elder brother actually advised me when I was getting to work. He said, listen, but when you get in there, put your head down, learn from the people who are there. Don't show any attitude. And I think that helped me a lot. You know, so nothing has changed much. But I love, I wish today's, those who are entering into this field, because microbiology, infectious diseases, what I like most about them is that it's not a static science, you know. Things are changing every day, and you have to continuously learn. There's no way you can stop learning. So my advice to those coming into the field these days is that, yes, there are new technologies and computers and equipment to help you, but you need to understand the fundamentals of these, all the biochemical processes, how these bacteria behave, etc. because the human judgment is way, way above any computer. Okay. Okay, so tell me then, right, let's go back to, you just mentioned that you had completed your master's at the London School. So how did that come about? What's the, what's the gap between the JICA project and the London School? Uh, yes, so five years, I was actually then, I was applying, like I said, I got a lot of admissions to the U.S. schools, Canadian schools, uh, the, the Netherlands school, London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine, but I wasn't getting funded. So one day I read in the newspaper there was an opening for what do you call it, a Commonwealth Scholarship, Association of Commonwealth Scholarships. Um, usually it comes through the uh, scholarship secretariat and I applied. I applied for it, uh, you know, and I, a couple of weeks down the line, I received a letter. I was actually in, the, I, I, in my lab when I received a letter that you have been shortlisted, you know, for, for the interview. So you need to come to the independent square with your degrees and your well, some form of identification etc if you're familiar with ghana there's an iconic structure in ghana called the independent square there's an arc you know uh, there, that's an arc in it i didn't actually know that on that floor there is a huge conference room and offices i didn't know that so of course i had not lived in ghana that much so i went to that place when i got there oh there were number i honestly the interview went throughout the whole week. We might have been, I don't know how many people. I uh, know. Uh, so we went through the interview. And apparently, they were actually looking for 20 people. 20 people. And I think we might have been 
I don't know, maybe 700, 1,000 or 7,000 people that were interviewed. I had no idea. And I was actually there a couple of weeks later on when I received a letter again from the scholarship secretary that would know you have actually been shortlisted among the 20, uh, you know, for, uh, for the final screening. You know, so we were to meet at the scholarship secretariat. All along this, apparently all these applications had to be made through your institution. But I was doing it as a person, as an individual, you know. And I went through that kind of interview again. And the 20 of us, and I think the 20 now, they were going to be divided between the UK, Canada, and Australia. I think those were where the scholarships were coming from. So these were actually now sent now to UK, Canada. I chose UK because the year before I had had another admission to the uh, University College London to reach clinical tropical microbiology, but I didn't have a scholarship. So I asked uh, uh, UCL to actually uh, defer my admission. So I had a letter already and, and I went for that last screening. And actually it was around, all this was like uh, 2001, September, October thereabout. And then I was there around April, around April 2002, when I got a letter from the Commonwealth, Association of Commonwealth University, and it was quite a heavy letter. I uh, you know, so I just said, by then I had met, uh, you know, uh, my wife. She was working with the JICA office, but she was then, then not my wife. So I just told her, I think I got this. When I opened, actually, I had a congratulatory uh, message that I got this. I should proceed to the, uh, what do you call it, um, the British Council, you know. But what I didn't know was that my scholarship was actually delayed because it was the first time my kind of scholarship was being given, which was a joint scholarship that was being given between University College London and the Association of Commonwealth Universities. So there was some kind of deliberation between the two of them because my program was such that part of it was going to take me to Tanzania, you know, for the research component of it. So I think that's where the discussion was and I was a little bit delayed. So I actually arrived very late uh, to, uh, how do you call it, uh, into London, uh, but I began the program. And we were only seven in class, actually, seven from five different nationalities. Uh, you know, and uh, that program. So that was the first time. And of course, that also led me into a big problem now because when my director now got win uh, uh, that I was actually, uh, I got this scholarship, they, he got angry because they said, why didn't I do it through the institution? So um, they will not allow me to go. So I had a choice. And in fact, at the same time, they had looked for a trip for me to go to Japan you know, to go and type, do a molecular typing of the isolates, you know, the, that we were doing from the STDs, the chlamydia trachomatis, and et cetera. So I said to them, no, 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 no. I honestly, I am not going to do this. I will prefer to go to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'll prefer to go to uh, school. I actually remember the JICA coordinator got very angry. He called me to his office. Apparently, he was recording me, but I didn't know that. Uh, he was very angry. Why was I not taking that? So I think I got a little bit back as and I asked him, so what is putting you in that chair that you are seated? Isn't it education? I also want to get to that kind of level. 
to be in that kind of chair. So everybody got angry with me. And although I had a lot of leave days, I'd by then worked for five years. I applied for leave first. I was granted. But when they got wind that I was leaving, I was actually in London when I got a letter. And it was actually given to my wife. Uh, forcing me to resign from my position. I was only given an ultimatum. You leave the school and get back or you lose your job. So I said, well, fine. So I'm already here. So lose the job. I would rather forfeit the job. And that's how I lost the job. But I proceeded. I went to the school. I, I completed. And that was also another interesting thing because it was the first time that scholarship was given. I remember the then the Commonwealth, uh, what do you call it, the, the secretary to the Commonwealth Secretariat, uh, Dr. John Kikland, said to me, Bright, listen, you're already here. You're doing very well, uh, you know, so if we can get a letter from Ghana to say that we should give you funding for PhD, we'll go ahead. But given the circumstances under which I, I, I was forced to resign, there was no way I was going to get that help. So that's how it ended up. And I moved to Tanzania with a class of seven to do my uh, master's, uh, sorry, the research component of my master's, which was the molecular epidemiology of tuberculosis in northern Tanzania, uh, what do you call it, ethnic and geographical distribution patterns. It was by then using a new technique known as a mirror VNTR, that's microbacteria interspace repetitive unit. A vulnerable, a variable tandem repeat. That was a new technique at the time that came from the Human Genome Project. And I was using that technique to actually type uh, the TB, uh, what they call it, specimens in, the, in northern Tanzania, which was actually looking, comparing TB within the two largest ethnic groups in northern Tanzania. That is the Shagas, who are uh, mainly farmers, agriculturists, and then the Maasai, who are mostly uh, nomadic uh, peasants. So that is how I ended up with University College London and a joint uh, UCL and Commonwealth Scholarship. Wow. It's a, a <laughs> very interesting story, Bright. Very, very interesting. And, uh, and certainly a lot of challenges and ups and downs for you along the way. That's, that's very impressive. Um, from, a, from UCL upon graduation, what, uh, what, what led you back to Ghana? What, what led you next? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we moved, well, the whole team moved to, seven of us moved to Tanzania. Uh, actually, I, I remember that was some of my colleagues were telling me, you know, why do you want to go back to Ghana? And now I said, no. I had a very interesting uh, professor. He's a Tanzania. He was my external examiner, Professor Mahalo. I am not too sure whether he's still around, but Professor Mahalo was a my external examiner for my master's thesis. And during the Viva, in fact, after the Viva, he called me aside and said to me, Bright, you know what? There is a lot of microbiology and infectious diseases in Africa. So, and in Ghana for that matter, I do not, I, I do not suggest that you, I will strongly suggest that you go back to Ghana. Of course, I had to go back to Ghana because at the time I was married and I had a, a, a young boy. I left him when he was just three months old. Uh, yeah, when I left to, to for the, the 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 program, you know, so I I I flew back directly from. Uh, I had a ticket from Commonwealth. I flew back. Actually, traveled by road from Moshi, northern Tanzania, where we were based, through Arusha to Nairobi, and then took the flight Ethiopian Airways from Nairobi to uh, Addis. And then Addis changed another flight, which took me on the way with a stopover in Lomé, Togo, and I got to Accra, Ghana. Of course, I didn't have a job at the time, 
So I came back to Ghana. I tried to apply for a lot of jobs. And in fact, I got very interesting stories. I was told my former director, who was very, very, very influential, because heading that kind of institution means that you're a very influential person, uh, was so angry that he made sure that people wouldn't give me a job. And, uh, you know, so I remember I even went back to him. Oh, very interesting enough. Uh, actually, when I was asked to resign, I was still in distance. I was actually charged to pay the institution back some money. My leave days were taken. And so when I went back, I went back to him just to ask him, okay, how much money am I owing? Because I didn't want to carry any uh, uh, what do you call it, luggages into my future. You know, I don't want anybody to say later on that, no, he was owing an institution, he ran away, etc. So I went back, and I remember when I went to his office to see, he was so angry, and he said to me, no, I don't attend to senior staff. So I said, okay, who attends to senior staff? He said to me, well, it is the uh, administrator of the institution. So I went to him, and I got a letter, whatever they said I was owing them, I paid. So for almost two years, I wouldn't get a job. I applied for God knows how many jobs. Nobody. I remember another professor at the institution told me, uh, Professor Wilson told me, no, if you like, uh, come, I will go and talk to the director. We take you back. But given the circumstances and even the harassment that went on with my wife, because my wife was still working there, I decided, no, it wasn't a good idea. So I, I, I stayed back. Finally, finally, the... Uh, I went to the uh, the Department of Microbiology at the Ghana Medical School, at the, you know, and I met the, what do you call it, the, the, the head of the department then, by then Professor Messi Newman. And I, I told her, look, I was looking for a job. And then she said to me, okay, so where did you study the clinical tropical microbiology? And I said, no, University College in London. So I, I deposited my application with her and Fortunately, after about a couple of months, I was actually called by the, the College of uh, the University of Ghana, the Medical School, for an interview. Now, when I went, I actually met the administrator, and there was an interesting thing that the administrator said to me. Listen, he said to me, listen, we are actually going to give you a position of uh, an assistant lecturer, but you have to get your PhD within two years, which was fine with me because that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back to school, get my PhD, and continue. So I went to the interview, and interestingly enough, the administrator who was then at the Noguchi Memorial Institute, when I was actually asked to leave, resign, well, now became the administrator of this institution in question. And then uh, he was actually on the interview panel. So the question popped up again, why did I leave Noguchi? And... I, I had to tell the truth. I told them, well, I said to them, listen, this was what happened. And I had to leave because at a point in time, I asked the director, I wouldn't want to mention his name. I asked him, what is in the tunnel? You know, what is the tunnel for me? What is uh, the light in the tunnel for me? And then he said to me, he made a statement, a very interesting statement, that the light in the tunnel, after the tunnel can actually kill you. So I realized there wasn't nothing I needed to do something before I turn 30. I cannot become 30 years old with a, a BSc. I needed to have a master's proceeding to PhD. So I had to really leave. So when this, uh, the offer came, instead of now appointing me as an assistant lecturer, I was given a position of a principal research assistant. I got to know later on was that there was a TV project within the department that they wanted me to do. So if I had become an assistant lecturer, there wouldn't have been direct influence on me. 
Unfortunately for me, I said, no, I'm not going to go through this again. Around the same time, which was around September uh, 2004, uh, and there was another advert in the newspaper from the government of Botswana uh, coming to look for scientists to, but you know, the AIDS epidemic was actually out of proportion in the South and they didn't have the personnel. So they came looking for it. And I remember very much, it was 15 September 2004 that they came, actually the team from Botswana came in for the interview and I was interviewed around January I got a letter, January 2005, I got a letter that uh, actually Botswana was taking me on as a, what do you call it, uh, as, a, as, a, as a scientist, you know, for, for their programming in Botswana. So there were two things that actually uh, influenced my decision. So the offer that was given to me from the University of Ghana now, and now not as assistant lecturer, but a principal research assistant, I had to decide. I said, no, I'm not going to go through this again. So I said, well, fine, I have worked on a big TV project as part of my, my master's project uh, in Tanzania I, when I was a student of University College London. I have done a, a lot of uh, sexually transmitted diseases as part of the, what, the STD baseline study for Ghana. But I haven't done a lot of HIV, although HIV was part of the STD program. It wasn't because the prevalence in Ghana wasn't that high. So I saw the opportunity in Botswana as a way to actually have a huge HIV component added to my, my, my career in terms of infectious diseases, then I'll proceed to uh, what the PhD level. So that was how I ended up uh, uh, refusing to take the offer with the University of Ghana, which of course also landed me. But I didn't really disrespect anyone. On the day that I was rejecting the offer, I actually took my rejection offer letter and I went to Professor Newman and I told him, Professor, I really appreciate you offering me these, but I'm, I'm really sorry, I can't take these. I need to look for something else. And then so around February 15th, or so, no, 20, February 19th, 2005, I got a ticket uh, from the government of Botswana. That's how I led, I left Ghana to the Botswana Harvard HIV Reference Laboratory to head their uh, DNA PCR laboratory at that laboratory, I mean, at that uh, institution for the next three years. Then thereafter, I don't know if I can continue. Uh, please, I mean, please do. Yes. Thereafter, after the three years, I realized, yes, I've done a lot of HIV work now, especially pediatric DNA uh, testing. I was the head of the DNA PCR lab. But I also realized that now I got into a cycle where now my career prospects were really bleak. So I was actually ready to leave. Then uh, around July 2004, no, sorry, 2007, 2007, there was an advert that was coming in the newspaper again from the, uh, the government of Botswana in conjunction with the African Comprehensive HIV Partnership, uh, uh, partnership and, um, uh, and uh, which had a distant, it was an, ACHEP was an organization with MEC uh, company, the government of Botswana, and then the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So they were looking for a position, a, a, a new position for uh, the country coordinator for the Botswana National ARV Sites Laboratory. So I applied, and I remember people were actually telling me, look, listen, you're an expert here. Your chances are actually very slim. But I did apply, and uh, the rest is, is history. I actually got a position. Uh, so I became the first country coordinator for the Botswana National ARV Sites Laboratory. 
charged with uh, a lot of responsibility to roll out the ARV laboratories in the, in the country, uh, CD4, EID, the, the viral load, which I did excellently, and uh, up to uh, uh, 2015, November, which I, when I realized that was also becoming a routine, and thereafter, I was there again when I got an email from University Research Company, a U.S.-based, a Washington-based organization, uh, that they actually had uh, a project in um, Lesotho uh, under PEPFAR and CDC, and they were looking for a, a country director and senior laboratory, uh, what they call it, uh, advisor, and they had seen my profile on DVEX. You know, uh, mm -hmm. they, they have seen my profile on the VEX and they wanted to know if I'm interested in, in having a conversation. And I said, yes, because things were becoming routine at the time. I was at the top notch for the past six years on my level and I wouldn't get any promotion. So I realized both career prospects were actually very bleak. Oh, let me take a little bit of step back. In 2007, again, because of my quest for, 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 for knowledge, I there was the... HIV Research Trust uh, Scholarship, which was a, a short-term, you, know, you know, scholarship. So I applied for it, and applied for it with a, a what do you call it, a, a program that I had gotten at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine to do uh, what a postgraduate uh, uh, certificate program on applying molecular biology of infectious diseases. So I got it, and I had a number of leave days, actually, when I was still working in Botswana then, as the head of the DNA PCR lab. So I applied for the leave days uh, because if I tell them I was going to go to school, they would not allow. So I applied for the leave days and I went to London for almost about three months and actually acquired that also at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. I didn't get my uh, initial uh, master's degree I wanted in this, but I ended up with it. But because by then I had a master's already in clinical tropical uh, microbiology from University College London. And so I got the uh, postgraduate uh, certificate, or call it diploma, in applied molecular biology of infectious diseases from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So that's how I, I that was in 2007, I was telling Botswana. So November 2015, I attended in my resignation as a country coordinator for the Botswana National ARVC. My contract was actually ending in February 2016. So I had a chance of reapplying for the position, but I wasn't going to stay for another three years, making it nine years on the same top notch without any promotion, without the possibility of doing my PhD. So I left and became the country country director and senior laboratory advisor for University College London. Uh, sorry, University Research Company, uh, US... Uh, uh, URC. Yeah, yeah URC mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 in Lesotho. I uh, had a team that I thought we needed. I We did great job there. We were the first ones to actually set up. We set up another molecular because the country only had um, one molecular laboratory. With the epidemic that it had, we set up a new molecular laboratory in the Mafitain, uh, which was in the southern uh, uh, Mafitain Hospital, the southeastern part. And we set up another one in Clotse, uh, uh, which is uh, Leribe. Uh, for another. So very nice. Uh, these were both of all of them were commissioned by the U.S. ambassador at the time, uh, you know, and uh, it was all over. It was even on SABC. And you know, I have all the clips and everything about that. <laughs> we did a great job, you know. But then again, came in 2000 and um, 
17 thereabout. And you know, of course, when you have done your job very well now, they will start looking at cost. You know, so apparently I was too expensive uh, for them. So uh, what actually I didn't like was that I had there was a conversation that was trying to force me to take my kids from the American uh, uh, American school in Lesotho to a, a, a local school. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. If that is the case, then please take your job. So I moved back to Ghana with a family. I left my two boys in school in, in the, what do you call it, uh, Swaziland, uh, Waterford, um, the elder one, and then the younger one, by then he was only 11, I left them in school, then we moved, I moved back to Ghana. But just as I moved to Ghana, I had some little consultancy with uh, a global health care public foundation in Uganda. I had worked with Professor Kilian before uh, in, in Botswana uh, on these uh, quality, uh, lab quality programs. So he invited me for some uh, program. Uh, I went there. Actually, I've been there twice with him in Kampala. Then from there, I got back and then I got another opportunity to apply for a position, uh, which was a consultancy with the, uh, what do you call it, uh, in the Gambia uh, and the global fund, but for, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, one British organization uh, to, to become the lead consultant, you know, uh, for uh, assessment of the healthcare technology in the Gambia, the public healthcare laboratory. So I was handed that job, you know, to, to do that assessment for the entire country. And I did all that uh, uh, for the entire country, wrote a very uh, 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 nice report for them. And as soon as after I got back to Ghana in late uh, August uh, 2000, uh, sorry, uh, 2019, I got... Uh, an email from uh, Dr. Fatim, Fatim Jallo. I think she's now with uh, uh, Global Fund because she had come on a WHO mission. By then she was with WHO in, in Botswana and we met as part of the interview. I was still the country director that we had a lot of conversations and I'd actually applied for some positions with the WHO, which I didn't get Afro. I didn't get it. You know, so she had told me, no, UNICEF was actually looking for a consultant for these uh, regional uh, initiative, uh, uh, pediatric HIV uh, point of care test initiative. Uh, well, how was my French? So I said, well, I speak Spanish very well. Uh, French is very nominal, uh, but I will apply. So I did apply and I got a job. And it's for, it was first with the regional office uh, for the implementation of these, uh, what do you call it, um, pediatric HIV a program and it was from September 2019. It was first six months, then it was renewed again until May uh, 2021, uh, where the regional office said, Well, because of the administrative reason, as, me, as a consultant, I've exceeded the limit, said they could not. So the HQ, HQ, uh, UNICEF's HQ, of course, we, that was actually funding this initiative. Um, employed me. So from 24th June uh, up to now, I'm actually a staff of uh, a consultant, still international consultant with the uh, program division uh, uh, with the UNICEF HQ in New York. But I chose to still remain here because part of my program is still covering the 10 POC projects for Western Central Africa. I mean, for the 10 countries in Western Central Africa. Uh, diagnostic and treatment. Now, now I have a COVID uh, 
global COVID diagnostic also added to my portfolio. So in a nutshell, that is my story. However, I'm also now a PhD candidate in uh, what you call with a Texila American University. I'm actually concluding my second year with them, a PhD in public health with a Texila American uh, University. So uh, all being well, uh, God willing, in the, I have one and a half years to go, then I will have the, uh, completed a PhD as well. You'll, you'll, have check, you'll have hit the checkbox of every single thing that you want to accomplish. Uh, well, SM, the medicine is too late now. <laughs> you, you never know, Bright. It sounds like the pace you're going. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against it. But uh, that's a that's a great great story, Bright. I wish we had a lot more time to get through this. But um, I, I do need to ask you one one more question, if you don't mind. Is um, I don't. If you were to look at improving labs, you've obviously have a great experience visiting lots of labs. I know from from our own discussions that there's. Uh, in addition to those 10 sites, you've probably, you know, worked in about 15 or 20 other different countries along the way here. Um, yes. could, you, could you give a sense of if you could snap your fingers and make one thing happen for these labs, what, what would you think is going to be make, help them make the biggest improvement, uh, both in the quality of their work and the outcomes they can produce for the local people? Okay. The first and foremost thing I would say is that, uh, look, uh, I, I think the, in my part of the world, you know, I wouldn't talk about the developed world where the experience is really different, okay? I won't talk about London. Uh, no, 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 far away. But the, in my part of the world, I think the investment in lab, you know, both personnel equipment is lacking, you know? And I would love to see a huge investment because, look, preventative medicine is... Ex less expensive than curative one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we can get people in terms of training, uh, you know, provide a lot of training for personnel, you know, provide the quality training, get people to master's PhD levels within the continent, provide equipment, the investment that is needed to do kind of like research, you know, provide concrete data establish our own baselines, you know, tell the stories as they occur here on the continent. It will really help us to deal with some of the infectious diseases that we are dealing with, the re-emerging ones and the emerging ones and the futuristic ones, because we need the personnel to be able to deal with that. And the story in Liberia and um, Sierra Leone, the Ebola epidemic in Liberia and Sierra Leone was a classical case. Uh, that show that we actually lack the resources. Of course, we have not even dealt with the HIV epidemic yet. We have malaria. We have all the enteropathogenic, uh, uh, what do you call, diarrhea-causing diseases that are still ravaging. Uh, it, it, we need investment in that area. The personnel are willing, but I think the level of investment in terms of training and equipment and money needed to run these things properly to avoid us getting to this epidemic cycle that we get over and over again is lacking. So that's what I will say. That's a great way for us to wrap up, right? I appreciate very much your time. Uh, it's been a great time talking to you and definitely learning more about your story and what you've accomplished. Uh, certainly uh, very inspiring and, and very, very impressive uh, number of steps you've had to get through to get to where you are today. It's, uh, it's quite impressive. I hope a lot of people get the chance to take advantage of this and to, to hear what happens if you can stick to something and uh and i guess make some right choices along the way as well i think you you obviously had a lot of forks in the road that you had to manage uh and clearly managed them very well so congratulations on that and uh, look forward thank you very much for your time and we'll be in touch again soon
Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Rob, just before you go, sure. Uh, I really, really, all this driving force had been my mother. My parents were teachers. Okay, my father and mother were both teachers. And my mother probably was living 100 years ahead of her time. You know, so her drive, her push to get one educated to the highest level, though she was just um, a simple, I mean, a not well-paid teacher, I think made all the difference. Unfortunately, both of them are not alive anymore. But I will really, I will really, really, really in her memory want to thank her very much for the drive because she has been a driving force behind all of us and she really um, is, is, is all credit goes to her. Over. Can't say it better than that. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. To make a suggestion of someone that would make a great guest or topic you would like to hear more about, please visit us at labop.org. That's L-A-B-O-P-P dot org. Thank you.